This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello and welcome to the first ever edition, officially, of the Disloyal Idiots podcast. We are now affiliates of the Fans First Sports Network. Uh, You can still find us on newsmagician.com, but we are now officially on our own. Uh, Here here with you as always, Steve Haley. (laughs) Joining me as always, (laughs) Christian DeGuzman and Andy Pregler. How are we feeling, boys? As promised, this is a great chance to spread the gospel of New Jersey college basketball. That doesn't include Seton Hall or Rutgers, because f that. I am. We were we were joking around. I love that every March, every single small New Jersey basketball college becomes absolutely unbeatable, <laughs> and yet Rutgers is still trash. Yeah, right. As it should be. Somehow Rutgers misses the tournament and is weirdly considered a snub, and yet Jersey is still owning the world. So here we are. One it's because if you put Rutgers in, this magic couldn't happen. Rutgers has to die for chaos to reign, which you know I'm kind of here for. Oh, there you go. As uh, as our uh, we'll we'll call him a friend of the pod, Anish Shaf, uh mentioned, uh, we're in for a big swinging Dickinson of a podcast here. So uh, I'd say we get rolling. I think we got a lot of cues news here. I, I mean, I'm not it's sure it's a lot. I'm not sure it's a lot, but it's significant Q's news. Right. I guess, uh, yeah, let's let's rephrase that into uh, plenty of things for us to wax for a while on. Yeah, and I think let's start with the basketball program, uh, the men's basketball program, because as, <laughs> one, I understand how clicks work. Uh, two, I, I kind of enjoy trolling that now that we are, quote unquote, a new podcast, now we can actually lead off with basketball. Uh, (laughs) but uh let's start with the play with the coaching staff um news coming out this week that the staff is staying together there was definitely a lot of tea leaf reading and speech interpretation about whether or not certain assistant coaches named mcnamara were staying or moving on uh, Jerry McNamara is promoted to associate head coach, which is the role in previously inhabited by Mike Hopkins and Adrian Autry, both who were unofficially coaches or in the case of Hopkins, officially coach in waiting. And uh, he resumes that role. The I think from a continue. Uh, I don't hate this move. I'm interested to see who they bring in, though, to fill out the final uh, spot, although there does seem to be some rumors and tea leaves about that, uh, which we'll get into in a second. But I'm just curious from, Steve, your perspective here. Um, keeping the band together seems to be just as much about trying to mitigate risk as it is about what Jerry uh, brings to the table and why they're elevating him to associate head coach. Uh 
it it seems like the safe thing to do. Yeah, I mean that sounds right. It's it, it's it is what it is. I mean, I, I think at this point anybody who's been listening knows my thoughts on staying in house. But when I, I think Kevin um, Kevin put it best in that you mitigate a lot of the risk by doing it that way, especially if they're going to fail. You're setting yourself up only positive. You either get an easy buyout when they fail or you have an in-house hire that actually worked out. So, yes, keeping the staff intact is good. Um, if things go sideways, then the whole staff is you know internal and gets blown up. So what does that do for uh, you know potential long-term connections to the program? But uh, I don't know. It's... It is what it is at this point. We have a we we have the meet the new staff, same as the old staff. But I think there's a lot of things to look forward to from the switch uh, at the at least at the head coaching position. So we can we can dive into that deeper at some point. I'm sure. Christian, I I just think that yeah, comfortability and and especially with you know a 47-year legend of the program leaving. Just in general, this is not so much a move for the players as it is also for the fans because you kind of want some sort of comfortability, some sort of familiarity with the program as well moving forward. Um, when you ha- It's different when you, you know, are rotating coaches every 10 or so years. Uh, rotating coaches, or even every five years or something like that. But when you have a coach that stays along for a long time, um, it's going to be a culture shock for a ton of Syracuse fans. So keeping some sort of familiarity with the program, I think, is just as much fan service as it is for the players um, to you know, feel comfortable with the program. Yeah, and I think that there's, uh, you know, speaking of that comfort, where this was a great unexpected segue into someone who uh, is coming into Syracuse looking for that comfort. Uh, We are talking about uh, J.J. Starling. Uh, He entered the transfer portal on Monday, and almost immediately there were reports that he was going to... uh, (laughs) be joining the Syracuse Orange. It felt like there's a part of me that when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's just the lazy narrative, like him coming home and like they're that, you know, lazy, you know, expectations there. Uh, But it ended up being incredibly true. Uh, We got the very hilarious infographic uh, post or not infographic, like I guess just social media graphic. graphic, yeah. Yeah. Posted of him announcing that he was coming home to the Lower East Side uh, because, you know, that's what you think of when you think of Syracuse. Uh, but Starling is is coming back. He's going to add to right now what looks to be a pretty crowded guard room. But Christian, uh, what are your initial thoughts on Starling coming back to uh, coming back to Syracuse and joining the Syracuse Orange for next season? First of all, after Carmelo Anthony came home to the Knicks, everyone associates Syracuse with the Lower East Side. Come on. Like, that's just logic. Like, you can't you can't ignore that. Um but yeah, as, this, as someone who just made that drive this week, nah, it ain't close. 
But don't worry, a lot of Syracuse alum also make that drive. Uh, so it's the non-Syracuse alum who don't know what that means. <laughs> the um, it's going to be interesting to see how he fits in with the team, um, and because it, it kind of feels like um, he has a lot of similar characteristics. I want to say to Judah Mintz in terms of a score first guard. Uh, didn't have a ton of assists at Notre Dame. Uh, mainly because th- that was also mainly due in part that there were other playmakers at Notre Dame around him where he could play be more of an off ball guard. Um, so we, it, it'll be interesting to see how he fits in. Um, but the, he should provide a bit more all-rounded scoring. His three-point percentage kind of dropped off uh, towards the end of the uh, year, but I, it's still respectable enough um, that it took under 30% where it probably gets a little bit better, um, hopefully, in Syracuse, where he has a bit more comfortable, more familiarity and comfortableness, which is kind of the theme of the podcast somehow so far. Um, it's... It's a move that you know, another one of those moves that you know helps Syracuse fans because when you when you have a local product sticks around um, or at this point quote unquote coming home and it turns out to be one of the best ones that Syracuse has produced within the last five years at least on the men's side uh, to at least come home that is a big big boon to the fan base it'll be um it'll be a big boost as well to the team to know that they have someone who showed a ton of potential during his prep years at the very least and showed some good stuff in in spurts for a struggling Notre Dame program we could I don't think there's any beating around the bush on that fact so it's it's only a positive it will just remain to see how much of a positive it is. Because right now I'm cautiously optimistic since it will provide a different look of score. He'll provide a different look of scoring for Syracuse. It'll just depend on how quickly he develops that. Yeah, I was a little bit nervous about the news initially because... I, if you look at, you know, BPM, uh, JJ was fifth out of the five starters at Notre Dame. So there's like a lot of metrics out there that kind of show that he was arguably the worst player of the starting five on a bad Notre Dame team. Um, that's not going to help Syracuse right away if he's bringing that same game. That being said, I think that similar to his situation, similar to the situation we saw at Syracuse, it's just it's just about fit and about how you and his game or how about how his game didn't quite fit in with what Notre Dame was doing and how it will fit in better with what Mince is doing. And so, Steve, I am just curious as to your thoughts on the idea of him and Mince starting and where Joe Girard theoretically fits into that, since we don't know if he's coming back or not. Are you teeing me up to say the bench? No, he's teeing you up to say he's teeing you up to say Sienna. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I don't think Joe's going home. Uh, I think if he is playing college basketball next year, it'll be in orange. Um, the 
the thing the thing with Starling and coming in, like Christian alluded to, he and Mintz are very similar in what they do and where they're at on the court. If one of them can improve their jumper, then we can play both of them out there at the same time. But if you've got two of the same person playing guard, and I, I'd assume everybody out there listening to this is having the same problem I am uh, now that we're moving to the Adrian Autry era of I keep thinking of what they're doing on defense and what they're doing in the 2-3 zone because that's all I've had to think about for the last 10 years. Um, so, you know, defensively, I guess having the two of them out there in man would probably not be a bad thing with two extremely athletic guards um, and couldn't hurt the zone. It definitely couldn't hurt the zone in a uh, wins against replacement for Gerard. But, you know, Joe, Joe still will have a place on this team. Uh, there still needs to be someone to spread the floor. There still needs to be someone who can shoot. And when Joe is on, Joe is on. Um, for as much maligned as he's been over the years, like he still can shoot the rock. Uh, most of his shortcomings are in other areas. And if we have a couple more athletic guards that can spell him or work with him, then maybe, maybe we can mitigate some of that. So I... It, if if they can make the three man rotation their work or you know three man plus what we've talked about in the past of bringing in a couple of the current quote unquote forwards to play that too i think it's a solid possibility that this works out but it's going to be a long long road for red to try and kind of navigate Andy, you're muted. Prigler, I'm mute again. First pod, same problems. <laughs> yeah, that's that's me <laughs> muting it up because uh, there's there's just noises. Um, On brand. Yeah, no parties in the backyard yet. It's not warm enough for that. That'll be it. That's a summer pod thing. Uh, no, I was gonna say, Christian. With kind of that in mind, I think one of the more interesting dynamics here is that it sounds like Mike Waters tweeted out. Jesse Edwards is about 50-50 to come back. It sounds like he doesn't really know. Uh, it sounds like Mince is obviously testing the draft waters. It sounds like Gerard and Edwards are trying to contemplate uh, what to do next in the in the grand scope of, of what this team is going to be. I'm just kind of curious, with J.J. Starling coming in, and again, there's still a lot of time for other players to leave, but it appears that John Bull Ajok is the only player entering the portal at the moment. Um, um, yeah, I was Samir, about to say. Samir Torrance may want to have a word with you. Yeah, I was going to say, Samir Torrance, I, sorry, I forgot that he had also made his intentions clear, uh, which also makes sense with Starling coming in. Like, I think that that, I think that that probably clears a lot of things up. What is the idealized five, six man rotation for next year? Like, obviously, Edwards at center. Uh, but what do you do now that Starling kind of complicates the ideas of maybe moving Taylor or Bell to, to a two? It's tough because, as we've kind of alluded to throughout the whole year, there's a lot of guards on this team. And it just so happens that a ton of them are being shepherded into the forwards position out of just necessity. So I, this gets easier if, if Adrian Autry decides to play man. Because you can mitigate some of the size difference, quote unquote mitigate some of the size difference by just 
focusing on man principles and not worrying about guys learning backcourt rotate or frontcourt rotations on the on the wings and being maybe undersized because teams have played small lineups all the time in college basketball and in the NBA for that matter and have you know produced results so it's not out of the realm of possibility that Syracuse can do that so does that in turn open up the ability for shooters to get more comfortable in the system? You would hope the answer is yes. Um, and it then becomes, okay, if you do have a guy like Judah Mintz, who, while got better as the year go on, be, uh, being a point guard in terms of finding other guys to shoot the basketball through passing is still a guard who is a score first guard. Do you have other guys who can take it upon themselves to either create chances through passing or through individual shooting efforts? And that's where the tricky part of Syracuse's lineup comes in because you would assume if this, there's a lot of assumptions on base, like you said, Andy on who's coming back and who's not. If Judah comes back, he's starting. If Joe Girard comes back, it, I, I honestly think if Joe Girard comes back, he's probably still starting because, yeah. of, because of where the lineups, because the history of the lineups, what the, the makeup of the lineup is, his relationship with the coaching staff. Um, so it becomes who do you want to put at three, four, and five? Uh, obviously, five, it's going to be either Edwards if he comes back or Hema. Or if you really want to get fancy Malik Brown, which would be not a bad idea. Um, so, three and four. I mean, if, if you really want to go on traditional, you could put Starling at a three. But, I mean, sir, yeah, I, 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 know, I, I see how much you're wincing, Andy. But can you un, can, do you really think Chris Bell, Justin Taylor, and Kredir Copeland are threes also? And the answer is... Uh, yeah, I resounding no. Um, but Syracuse doesn't have a Cole Swider or a Jimmy Beheim to fill in that role that they do this year, at least. So what that means is you have to kind of get untraditional with your lineup, which could be tough for a first-year head coach, but um, is, is possible. I mean, oh, at, at six four, we've seen worse options to play that three or to play, you know, that that wing role. Yes. All in all, let's assume that everyone, under the very very weak assumption that everyone comes back to can come back, and who hasn't put into the portal. So taking out John Bolajak and Samir Torrance to skate around the question to get around the question the long way. The starting five is probably the same as last year, honestly. Pretty much. I mean, do you do you do that and then just have a quick, you know, do do you use Gerard how we've wanted to use him when he's in the starting lineup of have a heat check and if he's off his game, you throw Starling in and he plays thirty. It depends on how loyal Adrian Autry is to shooting. 
because Jim Beheim, at least in the pa- at least in the later part of the of his coaching tenure, vehemently said that despite the defensive lapses that Buddy Beheim and Joe Girard had, he had to keep them on the floor because the shooting potential and ceiling and the scoring potential and ceiling was so high for them. So it depends yeah. on how that limit is with Autry. Yeah, and I guess it also, you know, uh, it's slightly based on how the rest of the team develops around that, whether or not there is another threat. Because if that's our, again, if that's our only scoring option, then you kind of got to keep them on the floor. Yeah. It's a weird Which, weird which also, unironically, makes this very, very hard for the Orange because there are massive pros and cons to the people who can leave leaving and to also people who want to put themselves in the transfer portal or, portal or not. It's kind of a little weird because, honestly, I would have expected more Syracuse players to have already put their name in the transfer portal already than people have. That The fact that John Bullock and Samir Torrance are the only ones who have put themselves into the portal is a better sign that people are coming back in terms of people who want to go into the portal. I'm not saying Judah Mintz, Joe Girard, and Jesse Edwards for putting those three guys out of the equation. I'm talking about your Chris Bells, Justin Taylors, Benny Williams, right. and Kadir Copeland to the world's. The fact that we haven't seen those guys put their names in the portal indicates that it, there is an above 50, a probably even an above 75% chance that those guys are coming back to Syracuse, which could make lineup construction very interesting. Yeah, I think that there's, <clears throat> as Kevin said, like this process is so weird because of the timing of the NCAA tournament and there are still teams that are very obviously playing through their season or just had their season ended that are trying to figure out like what to do next. Like we saw the St. Peter's effect of last year where the entire roster basically entered the portal and transferred away after that run. Um, Does the same thing happen with Farley Dickinson with Princeton with, you know, insert whichever team busted your bracket this weekend. Um, and And there are ripple effects from there, but I don't think it necessarily I don't think there's any big school that would impact a lot of the Syracuse players uh, to the likes that we're talking about that would not have already um, been uh, interested in in our guys. Like, I think the UVAs, the Pitts, the Miamis were kind of like, those are the kinds of schools that I think a guy like Benny Williams probably would have been looking at. And it doesn't appear that those schools seem interested or uh, in, in his services at this period of time. Uh, to kind of piggyback off on that, two things. One, the St. Peter's thing was um, unique in a way because, you know, Shaheen Holloway immediately went to Seton Hall after the season ended. So um, I don't think Fairy Dickinson and Princeton's head coaches are leaving for a Power 5 job immediately after the season is done. So... You know, those guys are probably going to stick around. And two, I think this Monday is going to determine a lot because now you have, you know, some of those big programs like, you know, some of those big ACC programs at the very least, like uh, UVA and like Pitt, who are now out of the NCAA tournament. 
And so if you see those guys, if you see a ton of guys from those programs into the portal, maybe that triggers some other movement from Syracuse as well. So if Syracuse kind of can survive the next couple of days without more people entering the portal, then you have a, then you feel very good about a lot of these players returning back to the Orange. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, the... The, the basketball thing is definitely going to be interesting because, yeah, Steve, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, this team is going to look so different when it comes out. And uh, I just, uh, I think we talked about this uh, a bit uh, last, the during a lot of the last season when we were talking about, oh, hey, what is, you know, what is this team looking at for the next season and why is it going to be difficult uh, I completely forgot. I was talking this over with a friend. We're playing in the Maui invite. and Oh my god, I forgot about that. Oh yeah. no. Would you like to hear the Maui Invitational field for next year? I'll give no. you, if you, I'll give you one, one hint. It's pain. It yeah. is Gonzaga, Kansas, Marquette, Purdue, Tennessee, UCLA, and Syracuse. Well, after today, Marquette doesn't look too great, but <laughs> those are like arguably that could have been most of the elite eight in a lot of people's brackets. Like to be completely frank, um, anyways, <laughs> you are you either die a hero or live your, or live long enough to see yourself become Shamanad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Shamanad, who is also in that field, but I think has not really played in the tournament in a couple of years. So either way, uh, that it does seem like no matter what happens with this team, they are going to hit the ground. They're going to need to hit the ground running. And so I do think it's kind of interesting to uh, I wonder if this is a year when Syracuse tries to do the Canada International Tour. Um. Because it's been a minute. I know that the Italy trip was at this point four years ago. Like it was pre-pandemic. It was, it was Gerard's freshman year. Yeah, and I think you have a four. I think you have, can have uh, again. This is something that we'll have to double check with Kevin. Uh, I believe it's a four years in between those international trips, and I would. If I am John Wildhack, I am fundraising like crazy for one of those right now because this is a season with that on the horizon. Add in the probable Georgetown game. Add in the probable New York City trip that they'll take either to MSG or to Barclays Center. And the non-conference schedule for a new head coach with a team that theoretically is going to be running back a lot of the same team that wasn't good enough last year. I think you could use a couple of extra games to kind of maybe gel with the new guy, the new guys that are going to be coming in and, or potentially work to kind of figure out those, those rotational issues that we're kind of talking about here, where it does seem like there's a lot of guys that theoretically could see time on the floor, but it's going to be about them needing to do, you know, certain tasks and, and fill certain roles. It's, the only thing that hesitate makes me hesitate on that also is how how much do you want Adrian Autry to settle in? Um, and, and yes, Huawei tour could be helpful for that. I, I could see that being not helpful in other ways as well for a new head coach who's taking over a legendary program. So 
the, I, I think it's tough because you're you're in a really difficult position with Syracuse right now. Yeah, I think I think we're kind of seeing though. Like, do you want to be a UNC? Do you want to be this program that really struggles to find its footing, even with a roster that theoretically was supposed to be amazing on paper, but just couldn't quite figure it out with the with all the transitioning that's happening around it? Uh, or do you want to be Duke that has just seemingly not missed a step? Um, even oh, I know that they did lose. They lost to a really good Tennessee team. Um, this they had a season where injuries really hurt them. Uh, but once they were healthy, you know, they won the ACC tournament and they became a lot of people's dark horse, you know, final four pick because they were the Duke that we all thought they were. And that's because, you know, Shire, Shire, however you say his name, um, you know, managed that transition really well. And there was a really strong separation between him and Coach K once they took over. And I think that, yeah, Christian, you're 100% right. Like, this is something where Autry is going to have to define, like, what this transition looks like and what he's most comfortable with. Um, because we don't want to be in a situation where we're trying to make him do things that he's not ready to do because all that's going to do is make this process more painful. And it's not going to help when Jim Beheim is just chilling in the athletic director's box as he is uh, now taking a role with the athletic department. Look at that segue. Yeah, uh, that was a good one. That was much uh, Jim, better than I, my thoughts on this move. <laughs> yeah, uh, Steve, why don't you tell us what's happening and uh, what the move is? Because I honestly forget his official title. I think it's like it's like special, special assistant a- to the athletic director. Or That's something. exactly what it is. It's special assistant to the athletic director. And all I can think of go. is Dwight Schrute from The Office. Every time I hear <laughs> that, so uh, Jim Beheim is now the assistant to the general manager of uh Syracuse athletics and I am very it's in all honesty it in this case it's not a knock on Bayheim it's a knock on anybody ever doing this I get why they're doing it to get him to move and not have to buy out that last year of the contract and just shuffle him off into a position and do the thing but like every other athletic you know every team every athletic department anyone who's ever done this it never ends up working out when you have a legend just sitting there overlooking the program and unless it's you know i even i mean look at uh again to go back to soccer talk because we're on brand um when sir alex ferguson retired he sat in the box and overlooked everything that david moyes was doing and did that help anybody? No. And is Jim Beheim going to do the exact same thing? I, I, knowing everything we know about Jim Beheim, which admittedly is just whatever we can pick up over the years of watching him, I don't think he's going to walk away smooth and clean. I think he's probably going to try and you know uh, continue to be involved. Which I don't know. If you want a clean break, I don't think that's where we want to be. That's because that's because they hired David Moyes in it, and and in this case, I think it would have had more. And there would have been if if you're going to be in this position, this is where hiring internal probably is your only like. This is one of the upsides to hiring yep. internal. I'll give you that. Uh, is if your your legend is going into a position like this, like 
like for United, it probably goes a lot smoother if someone like Michael Carrick or Ryan Giggs steps into that managerial role immediately yep. after uh, after Alex Ferguson retires. So, like to have Adrian Autry to go into this role, uh, like this probably this probably wouldn't be so smooth if Matt Langle was the head coach and and Jim Beheim was you know in the assistant to the director's chair. Yep. Now I. I thinking of it from that side that also makes makes a lot of sense at least Autry for whatever he can you know tell him no uh if anyone's going to be able to tell him no it's someone who's who he's worked with for you know 20 years or whatever yeah and it's also who's someone who understands the culture right of um of the program of the team and you know what you know ultimately they want to do I mean no disrespect to Everton but like you know that's not the same as Manchester United very true much like Colgate would not be the same as Syracuse. Yeah. And so that's where you wouldn't want Beheim to stick around with the program as much. You would want the new manager to build his own culture if, if you're going for an outside hire. But you're not. You're sticking with an inside hire. Right. So keep the culture. All right. We've split. We've, we've formed the, uh, the uprights for you, Pregler. Where, do you, where, where are you kicking this field goal? <laughs> uh, I think it's really apparent that Julie does not want Jim around the house. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Uh, I mean, <laughs> for anyone who's listening on audio, oh. I'm not cutting this. <laughs> you get to listen to Christian and I just crack up for a bit. No, that's that's really good. <laughs> oh man! I mean, listen, the dude. My, I, I was telling my. It was actually really funny. I was uh, eating dinner like literally maybe 45 minutes ago, and uh, my wife's like, "Oh, what are you guys going to talk about on the podcast this week?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'll probably talk about you know basketball stuff." And she did the like, oh, so is there any update on Bay? I'm like, yeah, he got hired by the athletic department. And she's just like, why does he, why doesn't he want a nap? Why doesn't he just <laughs> want to go? Isn't he tired? And I like, I like very seriously, this is like, this is the no win situation Syracuse found itself in is you have a guy who has made it very apparent. He does not think he is done working. Doesn't matter what the age is. He feels that he still has something left to contribute. Uh, but the the program felt that being the basketball coach isn't the right guy. We've seen Floyd Little step into this role, and Floyd Little was basically a glorified mascot for Syracuse in the football program, and Floyd Little really enjoyed that role. He enjoyed talking to students. He enjoyed talking to donors. It was, it was a match made in heaven. I don't necessarily think James Arthur Beheim is the guy for that role. So I don't really know what he's going to do, but you got to find something to do because I don't think he's taking this role as like, you know, a ceremonial hat. I think he actually wants to do something because it's been made abundantly clear at this point that he does not want to do nothing. And could this you could you imagine Jim Beheim guest speaking in an intro to sports management class? <laughs> I I mean, can you imagine Jim Beheim being the Syracuse rep at the ACC conference meeting when all the schools send their delegations down there? Like, that's what you have this person for. 
and Jim Beheim is not the guy that I would want to send as my rep to Greensboro, North Carolina on a yearly or quarterly basis. We already know his feelings on Greensboro, North Carolina. So, Wow, it's not like those have been made abundantly clear before. <laughs> if, if you do not know them, please look at the archive of NoonsMagician.com for any and all any and all theories as to James's thoughts on that city. Yeah. This is this is my like this is this is what I mean though, is that this whole thing on paper could be really harmless. Like this is just another dude getting a paycheck for doing a whole lot of nothing. I just don't think that Jim Beheim knows how to do a whole lot of nothing ever. <laughs> so that was yeah. my thoughts. Uh, before we go into the football lacrosse uh, women's basketball section of the program, uh, let's just shout out our friends and sponsors at Homefield Apparel, makers of the finest purveyors of vintage collegiate apparel. Make sure you check out their website this March. They're running a ton of promotions, ton of different sales. They have a Farley Dickinson uh, collection that dropped because we were all on the Fair Dick train during the Purdue upset. Uh, I definitely think that you should check out Homefield Apparel uh, online. Uh, make sure you go and check out all their specials that they're doing for March Madness. And as Steve has shown, uh, you do not have to wear a Syracuse uh, home field apparel shirt. They have so many cool designs for so many other schools. No, I'm pretty sure every one of us that uh, that owns home field apparel merchandise is uh, well beyond the Syracuse realm. I, I know Rocky's gotten a couple of uh, shout outs from the, the noon staff and the I know both of us have a uh, wavy shirt, so oh yeah, wavy wavy McWave is my absolute favorite. Yep, currently rocking the North Dakota State University because why not? Literally, why not? <laughs> and now the Fairleigh Dickinson, like they they get joggers too. If you miss the Syracuse joggers, which I'm currently wearing, also hey, yeah, me too. Yeah, yes, I am head to toe in home field again. Um, yeah, go get the Fairleigh Dickinson ones because no matter which ones you get, they're comfy, really comfy. I did send, uh, I saw a meme that one of my coworkers posted on Instagram and it was a picture of, um, oh, the, the, the modern family, uh, Colombian woman whose name is just Sophia like, Vergara. Sophia Vergara. Thank you. I was like, Gloria, no, that's her character's name. Sophia Vergara like made up and like me when I go into me when I go into the office two days a week and then it was Sophia Vergara wearing sweatpants holding her like chihuahua and it was like me when I'm working any other time uh and I was like we got normalized sweatpants in the office because my sweatpants are way nicer than most people's pants and she's like can you send me a link this sounds like something I want to be irresponsible and buy and I said, oh, baby, let me send you some home field apparel joggers because these things are amazing. Here's a rabbit oh. hole. Please go down it. <laughs> well, if you remember, like about a year or so ago when Joe Biden had the whole Micron uh, press conference, uh, he announced like, hey, don't come in suits. Come in casual, casual business clothing because that's the work. That's the attire for the workplace of the future. Well, here we are. And you could rock Normal your Georgia pants in the workplace. <laughs> you can get your Georgia Golf. I I just found the Georgia Golf T-shirt from Homefield. It's amazing. If you need a bulldog and knickers, you can find it on a shirt. It is. Uh, it's what I've 
theoretically uh, thought of getting that shirt a lot since I work with so many Georgia people. Uh, if you, also, if you if you want to support J.R. Smith, get an NC NCA and T shirt as well. Hey, they are the home field. Don't miss home field. Don't miss. Um, you know, I was going to try to make another don't miss joke, but I can't. Uh, they didn't miss the last game they played. The women's basketball team is moving on. In the let's let's go there. Uh, Where they, you cut out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us where we're going, buddy. I was going to say, uh, this is, yeah, I think I'm just having some microphone issues as per usual. Uh, uh, let's talk this basketball team who doesn't miss in the women's NIT. I think we got most of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there's yeah. still, there's one basketball team still playing, and it's not the men. It's uh, they play Seton Hall coming up, I believe, is the next matchup. And that's on the road uh, yep, down in New Jersey. 15 minutes away from me. So there you go. Hopefully Syracuse can put together a four quarter game. Uh, they looked really good in their first NIT game, which was great. Uh, but Syracuse, I, again, this this year's team is not necessarily the issue is not that they don't look good. It's just that they only look good for three and a half quarters. Um, so if they can put together a four quarter game. They'll probably handle Seton Hall just fine. Um, if they run into the same issues that they've run into all season, it's definitely going to be squeaky bum time in that fourth quarter. Yeah, and that game's tomorrow at seven o'clock. So yep, should be able to. There we go. Catch that amidst well, no other basketball because that's uh yeah. And, Andy and I will be watching Mexico Japan. Mm. Yeah, there is a baseball game there where uh, my. By my home country and my new favorite Mexican, Randy Rosarena. <laughs> who do that, you care? That, like that story is amazing. Mexican citizen, like yeah, it's it's fine. Like he's I mean, legitimately the, Mexican, well, just not for reasons. No, the, but the, the story on how he became a yes. Mexican citizen is inspiring. Uh, so it, it, it's it is one uh. of those things that is just it makes me very happy. Um, it is absolutely insane. Uh, go, go read it and realize that. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely insane. I, I'm um, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm rooting for Japan because of my favorite Asian American now on Lars Newtbar. Lars Newtbar just went really way too high in my fantasy baseball draft. So yeah, everybody's in on the Lars. Newtbar There's a reason game. for that because <laughs> because ever since he decided to play for Japan, he went all in, and that was the correct decision. When you can go all the way in, always go all the way in. That is that is a rule of life. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's questioning that. Gentlemen, uh, let's talk about football because we've got 15 minutes left and this is what we do best. Oh, uh, no. Before, before we get to that football, uh, we do have an update. Uh, Nathan Poku is up to four games in the Eredivisie. Um Still no, Wait, no goals. When did that happen? Or, yeah, the BPL, the <laughs> Jupiler League. Sorry, wrong country in that area. Uh, <laughs> minor, minor things. But uh, yeah, he is up to four appearances over there, so he's uh, he's getting some time. All subs. Um, but yeah, no, no, no stats at this point. No anything, but getting some runs. So good to see him being represented out there. The Orange being represented across the pond. Hopefully Lester don't get relegated. Mm, fair. <laughs> I one, yeah. one point of, still one point above West Ham in the relegations. Well, the the 
yeah, the bottom half of the table is what, like three points between 14th and 20th? Something yeah, like that. Yeah, Leeds is on 26. 27 points. Yeah, wow. Yeah, from 12th <laughs> down, you're four points differentiating 12th place to 20th. Yeah, you're either going to make a Europa League spot or you're in a relegation battle. <laughs> <laughs> a reminder, West Ham is currently in that third tier of uh, UEFA games. Well, that's what Casillo gets for leaving the podcast. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, that's what... Uh, there's. I was telling my wife this. There's going to be a whole generation of soccer fans in the U.S., who are going to now view West Ham through like this evil empire lens <laughs> and the reality could not be further from the truth. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I mean, the, 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 there, there's, you see the bubbles come out, man. How, how can you take that seriously as a villain? <laughs> well, no, the villains are uh, in 11th place. Mm. The Aston villains. nothing like dead soccer jokes folks (laughs) that was uh that was that was that was something hey somebody's got to do it the other thing we got to do is get back to talking about american football yes uh so let's talk about our friend um uh syracuse football and i there's uh pro day coming up and for those who might not know uh, what these pro days are, I don't know how you wouldn't know. Uh, basically, work out in front of scouts in a controlled environment. Uh, Steve, why do teams and scouts like these pro days more so than the combine? Um, you get a lot more isolation with the players. You get a lot more... Um, I... <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to describe it. I want to say you, Zach Wilson want, got drafted number two just on his birthday. That's right. all you need to know. Yeah, you you get a lot more you time with the guys that you're looking at and can actually evaluate them versus the broad scale of everybody being thrown at you. Um, you also can find some diamonds in the rough here and there. Unfortunately, you can also overrate people by that. So Zach uh, Wilson, right? Uh, <laughs> Without, By the way, I'm not just I'm not just saying that as a bitter Jets fan. I'm saying that as the Jets fan who wanted them to take Justin Fields throughout the entire draft process. Yeah. Hindsight, um you you might have been onto something there. Yeah. yeah. I think so. <laughs> so so yeah, no, it's uh did we get we got the official list of who's coming to Pro Day or who's it's, it's going to be a Pro Day, right? It um uh, there wasn't anything official from hmm. Syracuse Athletics. Yeah. But uh, Garrett Williams, his dad, tweeted out who's who's uh, appearing. Gotcha. So I'd assume the the usual suspects we're expecting, plus, yes. um, yeah. So the usual suspects: Bergeron, Tucker, Williams, Michael Jones, and then the others are Aaron Bolinsky, Devon Cooper, Chris Helmore, C.J. Hayes, and Andre Schmidt. Now, do we know if Tucker, who mentioned that he did not compete in the combine, Due to a minor medical issue, do we know if he will be healthy for Pro Day? That is still unclear. Uh-huh. So, because it's a, he's, he tweeted out yesterday um, he was unable to participate at the uh, Combine because of a medical exclusion, something I expect to have cleared shortly. Um, and then he tweeted out a video that I didn't watch after 
uh, Mike Ostrowski said that uh, it was not the best video to watch in terms of video quality. Fair. So, um, so remains to be seen if he will actually be a participant or not. Yeah, and I know I know Bergeron's stock has been climbing like crazy. Um, yeah, Bergeron and Gar- Bergeron and Williamson's stock have been have been climbing. Yep. Uh, it seems like Tucker is probably set for like day three, day two, day yeah. three. Yeah, I and think Tucker's. I think Tucker's a day three. Mikel um, probably late day three in uh, or or Zager Franklin route. Yeah, first of the undrafted's off off the board. So, yeah. Right now, Bergeron's what probably second round by the looks of it. Bergeron's Bergeron's probably second round. Garrett's a third rounder. Okay. Um, it would have been interesting to see if he didn't get injured towards the end of the season where Garrett would have gone. Yeah. Because that certainly hampered him right now. Because I think some teams would have had a first rate, first round, first round grade right. for Garrett if he didn't get injured. Yeah, probably would have gone into the combine a little behind, like a little, you know, second ish. And yeah. then, show, I mean, if he showed as well as he did, then that yeah. that stock jumps up quick, as we saw from Bergeron, who was mm-hmm. looking at, like, probably day three at best and yeah. is now moving think, his way up. Yeah. I think the person um, I'm most interested in seeing on how um, he does at the Combine and how he makes an impression on NFL teams is Chris Elmore. Yeah. Because he's such a unique player that certainly NFL teams – will just like to find him a role somewhere. So I I think he there's there'll be an interest it'll be interesting to see how he sells himself to NFL teams because he certainly fits the makeup of a player who should be on an NFL team NFL team. It just depends on how you want to use him. Yeah, I mean he's he's like the definition of the utility player. There's no yeah. utility player in football per se, <laughs> but he is it. Like He's, I don't know, like the Chone Figgins of football. That is a great poll. Yeah. Uh, and is, yeah. And I, I do, I think that there is also, you know, the reason that you see these pro days definitely growing is that there are now so many other football leagues that are popping up. You know, the USFL exists, the XFL exists. Yep. And these pro days allow you to send uh, like the NFL combine is strictly for the NFL. These pro days allow these other football leagues to get a look at these guys. And Elmore is somebody who I think we're all pretty confident. A team will take a flyer on him. He will be an NFL training camp just because of that versatility. But if he doesn't catch on with a practice squad, he's somebody who the USFL or the XFL, you want a guy like that on your roster because you need that positional flexibility in these leagues where roster construction becomes such a challenge just based off of availability. Um, And so I think Elmore's got a couple years of football left in him just based off of how that versatility, that is such a unique trait. Like I don't think there's anybody right now out there who can match his versatility at the level that he played at. I can't think of any off the top of my head. I, it's kind of crazy what he did. It is one of those things where if he had been healthy during the uh, during the season I, a little bit more, I think we would have probably seen uh, a lot more national 
uh, eyes on him and his story. But this was just a this was just a, a shit year to get injured. Well, and I guess that might be the one of the only things that goes against him, even if he shows well at pro day, is the sheer fact that he's been oft injured. Yeah, that's, that's another. That's, that's another Syracuseism. That's a shit time to get injured. <laughs> Just Which really is... sums up the Syracuse program for every single sport ever on the hill. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, I don't think there's ever a good time to be injured. Like, I don't want to like make that. I want to make yeah. that very clear. But you know, Syracuse is mastering the shit time to be injured. Yep. Hey, when you're good at something. Wait, no. Never mind. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> No, no, wrong, no, thing, no, no, no. Wrong, wrong thing you want to support. Fair yeah. enough. Uh, gentlemen, lacrosse things happened. Uh, Christian, let's start with the good. I mean, it's all kind of, it's neutral to good. Uh, the Syracuse women's team is officially the best team in the country that hasn't played UNC. Fair statement? Yes. <laughs> is... The UN like UNC's the last game of the season again this year? Yes. So we get to play this whole thing of is this like you you said it before the the pod. This is the great this is the best start in program history, and we're gonna be sitting here the entire time going, Well, it kinda doesn't matter unless until we get to the UNC game. Yes. <laughs> okay. Neat. Swiftly moving Neat. on. <laughs> Yeah, I just it. I will have to have a deep dive into the into what they are doing like before that UNC game. But uh, it is uh, correction, of... it's the second to last game. Last game is still hard. BC. Mm. Yeah. Oh, no big deal. Yeah. It's not like our coach won a so title. For, for those who uh, for those who haven't followed uh, women's college women's lacrosse, BC is still uh, is actually a powerhouse. Mm, and where we got our coach from? Yeah. I mean, it, it helps that the coach is one of the program's best players. Well, you know, but, you know, she may have won a title the year before she came back. Yeah. So, <laughs> either way, that team is good. Yes. The yeah. only thing that's going to hamper the women right now um, is to tie neatly into the conversation of the last five minutes, injuries. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, because because literally twenty minutes after we logged off the podcast last week, we found out that Syracuse's draw specialist Kate Mashuski is out injured with a lower body injury, um, and is done for the season. And we we vehemently support the fact that this was not Christian's fault. Yes. <laughs> not. I take Christian. I take no blame for the results of of that. <laughs> Just. Literally just some gut wrenching luck right there by uh, from from the from the lacrosse side of the house, um, gentlemen. What did I miss this week? <laughs> I don't know. Sweet, first show, new show. My audio issues are there, but my ability to remember things that we talked about in the five minutes before the show. Uh, remains undefeated. Uh, absolutely loving the start to our like not quite off season, but almost the off season uh, for our pod. Yeah, no, that's uh, I think I think we're we're in the meet the new show, same as the old show situation here. 
Wonderful. So for those that didn't again catch it off the top, this is the Disloyal Idiot Show. We are still going to be doing a lot of the same things in a lot of the same places. We just got a different name and uh, be on the lookout for a new fancy logo that we'll have because we cool like that. Uh, so thank you once again for listening to this week's edition of the Disloyal Idiots Syracuse podcast. Make sure that you like and subscribe on the podcast player of choice. This helps us trick the AI into expanding the Ottoman Empire and ensures that you will continue to get our wonderful uh, podcast wherever it is that you like to listen to podcasts. Make sure you tune in on Twitch, twitch.tv slash disloyalidiots so you can see Christian try to be cool, me crack everybody up, uh, and whatever weird things happen live that just makes it so much more fun. We really do appreciate the support over there. My, uh, my head constantly going between all my monitors to see what's going on. <laughs> yep. Me uh, doing a live baseball fantasy draft at the same time as we doing a show, you know, all the good things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also make sure you follow us on our new socials. We are going to be on uh, the the Twitters and the Instagrams at Disloyal Idiots. Syracuse, I think that's probably nope. the best way to look look us up. Disloyal underscore idiots. Disloyal underscore idiots. Um, that way you can keep up with us. We'll probably be trying to do a little bit more stuff on there. We don't necessarily know how to do the things, but we're going to do some things on there. Um, so definitely make sure you uh, you keep up to date w- uh, over on the socials. Um, but just because we are not the old podcast does not mean that we don't sign off the same way. We are still Orange fans. Uh, and so we will end every show as we always do. With a go orange. Go orange. orange.